0: I mean, you get your woman and your bike and your banjo, and I mean, you're on your way. We've punched our way out of a hundred rumbles, stayed alive with our boots in our fists. We're royalty among motorcycle outlaws, baby. The run was on. Outlaws from all over the state rolled in packs towards Monterey. North from San Bernardino and Los Angeles on 101. South from Sacramento on 50. South from Oakland, Hayward, and Richmond on 17, and from Frisco on the Coast Highway. The hardcore, the outlaw elite were the Hell's Angels, wearing the winged Death's Head on the back of their sleeveless jackets and packing their mamas behind them on big chopped hogs. They rode with a fine, unwashed arrogance, secure in their reputation as the rottenest motorcycle gang in the whole history of Christendom. From San Francisco, in a separate formation, came the Gypsy Jokers, three dozen in all, the number two outlaw club in California. Starved for publicity and with only one chapter, the Jokers could still look down on such as the Presidents, Road Rats, Night Riders and Question Marks, also from the Bay Area, Gamora, with Sodom 500 miles to the south in the vast, mad bowl of Los Angeles, home turf of the Satan slaves, number three in the outlaw hierarchy, custom bike specialists with a taste for the flesh of young dogs, flashy headbands, and tender young blondes with lobotomy eyes, The slaves were the class of Los Angeles, and their women clung tight to the leather backs of these dog-eating, crotch-busting fools as they headed north for their annual party with the Hells Angels, who even then viewed the L.A. bunch with friendly condescension. Which the slaves didn't mind, for they could dump with impunity on the other southern clubs. The Coffin Cheaters... Iron Horsemen, Galloping Gooses, Comancheros, Stray Satans, and a homeless fringe element of human shankers so foul that not even the outlaw clubs, north or south, would claim them, except in a fight when an extra chain or beer bottle might make the crucial difference. From Henry Miller in The World of Sex 1,000 copies printed by J.N.H. for... Friends of Henry Miller, 1941 Over and over again I have said that there is no way out of the present impasse. If we were wide awake, we would be instantly struck by the horrors which surround us. We would drop our tools, quit our jobs, deny our obligations, pay no taxes, observe no laws, and so on. Could the man or woman who is thoroughly awakened possibly do the crazy things what you're now expected of him or her every moment of the day. From a Hell's Angel talking to police. People will just have to learn to stay out of our way. We'll bust up everyone who gets in our way. On the morning of the Monterey run, Labor Day, 1964... Terry the Tramp woke up naked and hurting all over. The night before, he'd been stomped and chain-whipped outside an Oakland bar by Nine Diablos, a rival East Bay Cycle Club. "'I'd hit one of their members earlier,' he explained, "'and they didn't appreciate it. "'I was with two other angels, but they left a little bit before me, "'and as soon as they were gone, these bastard Diablos jumped me outside the bar.' They messed me up pretty good, so we spent half the night looking for them. The search was futile, and just before dawn, Terry went back to Scragg's small house in San Leandro, where he was living with his wife and two children. Scraggs, a 37-year-old ex-pug who once fought Bobo Olson, was the oldest angel then riding, with a wife and two children of his own. But when Terry came down from Sacramento that summer to look for a job in the Bay Area, Scraggs offered bed and board. The two wives got along. The kids meshed, and Terry found a job on the assembly line at a nearby General Motors plant. In itself, a tribute to whatever human flexibility remains at the shop level in the American labor movement, for Terry, at a glance, looks hopelessly unemployable, like a cross between Joe Palooka and the Wandering Jew. He is six feet two inches tall, 210. 210-